0: So today's sermon title is is follow me, okay? And we're just going to go through one verse, so you guys are going to have to work with me, okay? But before I get started on it, I just wanted to stop a little bit because this verse follow me is pretty dear to me, right? And I think about myself and my testimony and as I sat and I had reflected on what follow me actually means, what that means to me, I just thought of myself, I I sat and I reflected on where I have been and what I have come to, right? And the picture that came to me was me sitting in my third rehab, right? I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. I was looking through self-help books. I was looking through different pills, different situations that were going to help me through. And nothing was working. And I remember a gentleman came to me and he handed me a small Gideon's Bible. It's those orange Bibles. And I started flipping through it. I was scared. I was hurting. I was lost. And I was looking for the world to fill my situation. And when I opened up that little Gideon's Bible, I started, I didn't know what to do with it. I'd never opened up the Bible too much, pretty much before, never read through it, always said I did. But I opened it up and I flipped to the back and I saw the index, which said fear, worry, hope, anxiety. And as I started to read through those verses, I was like, what is this? And I remember this guy came to me, the guy's name is actually, you know, Pastor Robert. And I was sitting in rehab and the one thing he said to me that that sticks into my head, he says, Manny... How's everything working out in here for you? And I said, you know, I'm holding on. I'm holding on to my situation. And he just asked me the question. He says, Where do you find peace? How do you find peace? And I said to him, You know, I can't really answer that question, but the only time right now I find peace is they gave me this little orange book, this like a half Bible. I don't know what it is, but I don't even know where to start. And the writing's so small, but I flip to the back and I look at hope. And in the middle of the night, I could find hope. And I could find peace. And I find a place to put my fears at this time, right? And I reflected upon that situation as I sat here. And I thought of nothing was working for me. And I thought about this call of follow me. And the reason why I think about it is because as I sat to study and I opened up my Bible, I came to the first page of my Bible. And it says, can you all read it? Just kidding. We're not going to put it up on the screen either. Sorry. It says, presented to Manny Guerrero by Bobby Jewett. And it says on 10 22 12. And the five roads words he wrote on there, he said, It's time to follow Jesus. It's time to follow Jesus. And my life drastically changed. Drastically changed. My heart drastically change in the transformation that happened. So this sermon is very dear to me. I thought it was interesting that I was the one that was to come up and preach this sermon. But we all know God has a plan. And as we walk through this, guys, um, I know it's only one verse, right? But if I could get you guys to stand for the reading of one verse. So as Robert says, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's holy, inerrant and infallible word. And let me pray real quick before we get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for this church body, Father. And I just continue to pray that your spirit guides us today, Father. May you continue to penetrate our hearts and and guide us closer to you, Father, as you've given us the call to follow you, follow Jesus, Father. May we take this to heart and look at that this morning, of what it truly means to follow you, Father. And I pray this all in your precious name. Amen. All right, you guys. Work with me. We've got four lines here. Matthew 9, nine. Is it up there? Maybe it's going to be up there soon. I told myself not to look back. So Matthew 9, nine says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. Please be seated. Sorry about that, Chris, but So as we read this verse, we see the same account but in a a little bit more detail in Luke five, twenty-seven through twenty eight. And Luke five twenty seven through twenty eight says, And after this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, Levi which is Matthew, sitting at a tax booth, and he said to me, said to him, Follow me and leave everything. And leave everything. And he rose and followed him. So, as we dive into this verse today, we're going to take a look at who Jesus is. We're going to look at what it means to follow Jesus. Why? Why should we follow Jesus? Okay? There is no more compelling figure to follow than Jesus Christ. There's no one more interesting. There's no one more captivating. I think to myself, when I go out and evangelize, what am I going to say to these people? And what do I do? I bring up Jesus Christ and this guy who doesn't want to talk. 30 minutes later, we're in a conversation about who? About Jesus Christ. Maybe people in your family or people you will come across. Although there'll be some people who don't want to talk about other negative things to say. But there's a lot to say about Jesus Christ. He's a compelling figure. And as we look at him, to follow him is life's greatest adventure. It's life's greatest adventure. To know him is life's greatest privilege. To worship him is life's greatest pleasure. To obey him is life's greatest duty. To obey him is life's greatest duty. To serve him to serve him is life's greatest responsibility. It's greatest responsibility. So as we look at today We got four main points to today's sermon, four main points, not five, just four. One is the Savior. Two is the sinner. Let me get that up there. It's hard for me to do that one. Three is the summons, and four is the submission. So we got the Savior, the sinner, the summons, and the submission. So what happens to our lives when we turn to follow Jesus? Or what should happen to our lives when we turn to follow Jesus? No one could ever follow Jesus Christ and their life remain the same, can't remain the same. To follow Jesus brings the greatest change that can ever take place in any person's life. To follow Jesus, it will take you from where you are to where you need to be. From where you are to where you need to be. It will take you through all life's experiences. The highs and the lows, the mountaintops and the valleys, the victories that we have. And the trials that we have, as we just walked through James, we saw trials, right? And what will this journey do to you? Or what has it done to you? This journey will enable you to live as God intended you to live. Only in following Christ do you find the real purpose for which God made you. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he is comparing Christianity to a path that we walk down, right? He's comparing it to a path. So try to visualize this path with me, church, okay? So, today we're gonna look at it. We're gonna look at this path and we're gonna ask, where do you see yourself on this path, right? So you're asking at this point in time, what my phys- what does this path look like? What is it? It's not a physical walk with our feet, but it's a spiritual journey with our heart. That's the path we're looking at. On this path, we see what Jesus requires of each one of us. Jesus calls us to himself. Jesus calls us to step out of the world. Jesus calls us to step out of the crowd. And to do what? To leave behind living for this world. To leave it all behind. To leave behind the things of this world. And to do what? And to commit ourselves to him. So my question for you, church, is, are you following Christ? Have you stepped out of the crowd? Have you crossed over the line? Point one, point one today is the savior, so we're going to take a look at the savior. What makes this call so compelling is the reality of the one who called. Matthew 9:9a. We're just going to look at a snippet. Matthew 9:9a says, "As Jesus passed on from there, right? Jesus means what? Jesus means Jehovah saves. Jehovah saves. So as we look at Matthew 1:21." Matthew 121, it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. What did God do? God came to save. His whole purpose is to save sinners. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the God in human flesh, truly God, truly man. We've walked through John. It's called the hypostatic union. Is what Pastor Robert taught us, right? The God man is what Jesus had to be so he could be a mediator, a mediator who saves us from the wrath of God. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins or cancel out debts. Matthew 9 6 says, Matthew 9 6 says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Next we see Matthew in this verse. Right? Matthew 9 9b says, Matthew 9 9b says, he saw a man called Matthew. So Jesus saw a man called Matthew. And you think, why did he write that? Of course Jesus saw Matthew. He was walking right by him, right? But what did Jesus see in Matthew? What did Jesus see in Matthew? Who is Jesus? We know that Jesus is omniscient, right? Omniscient meaning all-knowing. He knows everything. Jesus more than saw Matthew. Jesus saw into Matthew. He saw into Matthew's soul. When Jesus saw into Matthew's soul, what did he see? He saw what Matthew's faith looked like. Knowing Matthew, knowing Matthew's thoughts, Jesus knew what was evil in him. He knew the evil intentions of his heart. In John 15, 16, it shows us why Jesus was looking for Matthew. Why was he looking for him? John 15, 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Jesus was looking for Matthew. Why? To bring about a drastic change in Matthew's life, a transformation in Matthew's life. So let's look at the encounter between Jesus and Zacchaeus. Jesus and Zacchaeus, who is another tax collector in the Bible, right? We see the interaction. The verses aren't going to be up there because it's kind of long. The interaction is in Luke 19:1 through 10. So what do we know about Zacchaeus? Anybody know about Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? We all kind of know that song from Sunday school. There you go. <laughs> so we know that Zacchaeus climbed a tree and he was looking for Jesus in verse 4, right? And it was Jesus in verse 5. And what did he say? He said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry him, come down. For I'm coming to your house today. I think that's how the song goes. Sorry about that, church. My singing for today. And in verse 7, we see that Zacchaeus was a sinner. Right? And why did Jesus come after him? What did he do? Luke 19.10. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is a seeking Savior who took the initiative to seek and save that which is lost. Jesus was seeking Matthew long before Matthew saw Jesus. Jesus saw Matthew long before Matthew saw Jesus. Sorry, kind of messed it up, you guys. Work with the church. <laughs> so we're going to look at some points, okay? Jesus is always the initiator of salvation. Jesus is always the initiator of salvation. And what have we just learned in John 1, 12? John 1.12 said, what did he do? He gave them the right to become children of God. Second is Jesus is always the pursuer. He's always the pursuer. He comes after us. And the last one, why do we love him? Why do we love him, church? Because he first loved us. It's right on the screen, right? The good shepherd, he finds his lost sheep. It's not the other way around. His lost sheep don't come and find him. This same Savior seeks and saves individual sinners today. No one escapes Jesus' gaze. And as I think about this, I think about when I was living with my grandma for a little bit, right? My grandma's diabetic, right? And um, I'd come over to grandma's and she would call me on the way home, pick me up a hamburger and a shake. I'm only going to drink half of it, right? Okay, like, hey, grandma will bring some food, right? But there was a time of the month, our... A period of time where I would come home and she's like, No, mi home, no, no. We're eating vegetables tonight. I got salad on the table. No, we're not gonna eat that. We were eating healthy. And I at first I was like, What the heck's going on here, right? But then I figured out what happened is she had to go for her checkups. And when she went for her checkups, and she walked into the doctor's office, they drew her blood or whatever. So they saw everything about her. They knew what was going on, and my grandma was trying to get right. And as we look at Jesus saying, Come and follow us. I look at this term of who's Jesus, right? Jesus is an omnipresent cardiologist. An omnipresent cardiologist. He's always there, right? He's always there. He sees into every human life. He sees the condition of our hearts. He sees our sins. He sees our desperate need of His grace. More specifically, Jesus sees you. Jesus sees what no one else sees. What does Jesus see? Jesus sees your thoughts. Jesus sees your attitudes. Jesus sees your self-centeredness. Jesus sees your preoccupation with the world. He sees your preoccupation with the world. Jesus sees your dire need for his forgiveness, for his grace, and his righteousness. Church, who is Jesus? Jesus is the Savior. Point two is the sinner. Matthew 9, 9b. Matthew 9, 9b says, a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. A man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. So who is Matthew? He's a publican. He's a tax collector. Matthew was also a fellow Jew who served Rome collecting taxes from his fellow Jews. Where was Matthew's first loyalty? Matthew's first loyalty was to Rome. He bought the the tax franchise so he could levy taxes from the people. What did he have? He had a license for extortion. Anything above the specified amount he could collect, he kept for personal profit. What did he have? He had unlimited power. Matthew was backed by the Roman military. Matthew's job consisted of accepting bribes. Matthew was consumed with worldly greed. Matthew was money-hungry. Let's look at how people saw tax collectors of those days. Tax collectors were so hated by fellow Jews, they were barred from the synagogue. Tax collectors were forbidden from any religious and social contact. Jews were forbidden to have contact with tax collectors because they were ranked where? With unclean animals, and lepers, tax collectors, were thought to be traitors. And tax collectors were ranked or classified right there among robbers and murderers. And I'm glad I'm not in that group. I, was, no, I wasn't a tax collector. So what do we see in this verse here? We have Matthew who was sitting in his tax collector booth. And where was his focus? Matthew was consumed with money are the things of this world. Matthew was the epitome or the perfect example of three things. He was a perfect example of three things. One is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Which brings us to our next verse, which is 1 John 2.16. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Please understand, church, that there is nothing wrong in having the things of this world, but there is something desperately wrong when the things of this world have you. This was the case with Matthew. The things of this world had a grip on his heart. Matthew was being hung by a golden noose, and he didn't even know it. And who was Matthew, church? Matthew was a sinner. Matthew was a sinner. Which brings us to point three, the summons. So, so far we've had the Savior, one, the sinner, two, and point three is the summons. Matthew 9 9c says, And he said to him, Follow me, follow me. Here we see Jesus issuing a call to Matthew, a call to come to him for salvation. Stop a minute and think about what's going on, what's truly going on, and try to understand this, right? When Jesus says, follow me, our verse is only four lines long. He doesn't say, follow me, do this, do that, go here, do that. He just says, follow me. What Jesus does not tell Matthew is where this situation will take him. Jesus does not tell Matthew what the future holds. Jesus does not tell Matthew how this situation was going to work out. Jesus just says to him, look to me. Look to me and trust me. When when Jesus told Matthew to follow him, what did that look like? What did it look like when he said follow him? It was a call for Matthew to leave behind the old life. It was a call to leave behind living for the things of this world. It was a call to leave behind living for himself and for money. It was a call for Matthew to take a decisive step of faith. Remember that path that we're talking about? It was a call for Matthew to commit himself to Jesus, a call to live for Jesus. It was a call for Matthew to step out by faith and entrust his life to Jesus. This call from Jesus to follow me, how does it work? Who or what does it mean to follow when it says follow Jesus? It is not to follow a group, It is not to follow a religion. It is not to follow a cause. It is not to follow a movement. It is a call to follow the person of Jesus Christ. As we look at this verse, have you ever stopped to think and wondered why Jesus called Matthew? Why did Jesus call him? Jesus did not call Matthew because of anything good in Matthew. What do we know so far about Matthew? He's a what? He's a tax collector, right? Where was he ranked? Lepers, murderers. Jesus called Matthew not because of Matthew, but in spite of Matthew. Because who is Matthew? He's a sinner, right? He's a tax collector, but he's a sinner. Jesus did not call Matthew because of what he was, but because of what he could become. Jesus had a plan for Matthew. Stop for a moment to think about what that truly means. What that is, church. It's what the Bible calls grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve, right? Jesus does not call those who are deserving, but he calls those who are undeserving. Jesus does not call those who are worthy, but he calls those who are unworthy. Jesus does not call those who are good, but he calls those who are guilty, who are guilty. What does Romans 3.23 say? All good. have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He doesn't say half of you, everybody on the right of the church, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here we see Matthew is guilty. He is a sinner. He is Matthew, the tax collector, right? So let's look at seven points Matthew was facing when Jesus told him to follow me. This call to Matthew was one, the first point. It was personal. It was personal. It was directed right at him individually. He said, follow me walking by the tax collector booth. Two, it was commanded. Commanded. It was more than an offer. Like when someone tells you, hey, come here, do that, do this, get up. It was commanded. It was demanding. It meant he must leave everything behind. It was radical. Point number four, radical. It demanded a change of life. Point number five, It was undeserved. Undeserved. It was based on nothing good in Matthew. Number six, purposeful. It was purposeful because Jesus had great plans to use him. Number seven, it was lifelong. There would be no turning back. Has anybody read the book of Matthew? Is there anything in Matthew that says, and Matthew went back into his tax collector booth? And this and this happened. If I am not mistaken, if you read the book of Matthew, it ends in Matthew twenty-eight twenty, and it's the what? It's the great commission: Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This invitation to follow me is more is the most repeated invitation issued in the Bible. So, what does it mean to be a genuine Christian? What does it mean to be a genuine Christian church? Do you get a badge? Have you guys signed up for the La Sierra I'm a Christian shirt? We get them in large, extra large? No. Is it regular attendance at church? Is it tithing? Is it praying for a meal? Is that what makes you a Christian? Please understand, church, these are all things that we should be doing. And I'm not bringing them up because I want you to stop doing them. But let's look at what it means to be a genuine Christian, an authentic disciple, a follower of Christ. What is Christianity, church? Christianity is Christ. Christianity is Christ. Christianity is Christ plus nothing else. Plus nothing else. Excuse me. If you have Jesus, you have everything. If you don't have Jesus, you have what, church? Nothing. The essential part of Christianity is Christ. So what is Christianity actually? Let's look at six points. Six points here. First one, it is believing in Jesus. Believing in Jesus. Second is, it is living for Jesus. Third is, it is loving Jesus. Fourth, it is worshiping Jesus. Worshiping Jesus. Fifth, it is obeying Jesus. And last, it is serving Jesus. As you think about these things, this is what Paul spoke about in Philippians 1.21. Philippians 1.21 is a short verse that gets right to it. Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In this verse, Paul was not worried about himself. His whole reason for living was Christ. It did not matter to Paul whether he lived or he died. Paul's focus was on what? It was on having Christ. As Jesus spoke the words, follow me to Matthew, church. He is also speaking to us, church. At this very moment, Jesus is calling you to follow him. Jesus is calling you to forsake the world and a life of sin. Jesus is calling you to take a decisive step of faith and follow him. Jesus is calling you to leave the crowd that you have been traveling with all these years. Jesus is calling you to entrust your life to him. Jesus is calling you to commit your life to him. How? Wholeheartedly. Jesus is calling you to himself into a personal relationship with him. Jesus wants you to be attached to him. You have been summoned, church, to follow Jesus. Which brings us to our fourth point. So we're almost there. Point number four is the submission. Point number one is the Savior. Point number two is the sinner. Point number three is the summons. And point number four is the submission. Matthew 9, 9D, Matthew 9, 9 says, And he rose and followed him. And he rose and followed him. When we look at this situation, what do we have here? We have Matthew sitting at the fork in the road, right? He's like, do I go right? Do I go left? Do I go right up the middle? Matthew had to make a choice. He had to make a choice. Matthew had to make a decision. Would Matthew stay where he was at in his life of sin? Or would he follow Jesus? Verse is short. We all know it. Matthew 9, 9E. Matthew 9, 9E says, And he rose. And he rose. When Matthew rose, what did he do? He took a step of faith. He took a step of faith, right? For Matthew, it was what? We're going to look at some points here, right? Number one, it was personal faith. Personal faith. No one else but Matthew could do this. Personal faith. Number two, it was obedient faith. Jesus had commanded that he followed, and Matthew did what? Followed him. He rose. Number three, it was immediate faith. There was no delay, there was no hesitation at that very moment. We don't see Matthew hesitated and was like, "Hey, wait, I got to go do this. What do I do with, you know, how does this work?" There was no delay. He rose. He rose. Number 4 is submissive faith. Jesus would not follow him. Matthew must follow Jesus, and Jesus was now running his life. Number 5 is decisive faith. He cannot straddle the fence. He couldn't be half in and half out. Remember that song we were kids? Do the hokey pokey. You put your right foot in, right? There was no doing that. Matthew had to step in, right? Number six is active faith. Active faith. He could not sit there. He had to move out, putting one foot in front of the other. He could not be passive. And it could not be only in his head. It could not be only in his head. It was repentant faith repentant faith. Number seven, he had to leave his past behind and abandon his life living for this world. Number eight is trusting faith. Matthew did not know where this would take him. Matthew did not know how this will work out. Matthew did not know what all this means for him as he was looking only to Jesus. Point number nine is lifelong faith. Lifelong faith. The first step is only the beginning of a lifelong pursuit of following Christ. Point number 10, it was contagious faith. Contagious faith. He immediately began to tell others about Jesus so that people would know him. If we were to jump into verse nine ten, he was sitting in his house with the tax collectors, with Jesus, his disciples. Matthew was out there sharing his faith immediately. So what did Matthew do after he rose? Which brings us to the last part of our verse. Matthew 9, 9, F says, and followed him, and followed him. What did Matthew do when he turned and followed him? Matthew left it all behind. The booth, his life, his pursuit of money, it was all gone. Matthew gave up the world for the world that would come with Jesus. Matthew gave up money for a new master. Please understand, church, as I say these things, there is nothing wrong in having things. The problem is things must never have us. So as we look at these truths today, what are we a slave to in this world? What are we consumed with? What are we consumed with in this world? How about you? How about everyone who came to hear this message? Have you responded to the call of Jesus Christ upon your life? Have you took that out in that step of faith? Are you playing hokey pokey? Have you stepped out? Have you truly followed Jesus, church? Are you a true follower of Jesus? The question I have for you today, if not, what is holding you back? What is holding you back from following Jesus? Is it your love of this world? Is it your love of possessions? Is it those three dangerous people that always come up, me, myself, and I? Are they holding you back from following Jesus? Is it your love of money? Why would you delay when Jesus calls you to himself? I want you to stop and think about it. Stop and think about this verse in Matthew. Matthew wrote about his own conversion account. If someone asked me to write my own conversion account, it would probably be pretty long write about all these things but matthews is very simple jesus said follow me he got up and he rose remember that church four lines that it happened so quickly today we looked at the savior the sinner the summons and the submission church i plead with you to follow jesus to follow jesus and what does that mean when jesus started his ministry in mark 115 he said repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. The beginning of following Jesus is repent and turn and follow him and start on that path. If you heard the summons today from Jesus, praise the Lord. And if you have any questions, come and see me after church so we can get you started. Thank you, church. Let me pray real quick for our service, and then we're going to move into the Lord's Supper, okay? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much. Um, For your word today, Father, we thank you for the powerful word of follow me, Father. We pray, Father, and we know that your word will never turn void, Father. We pray for the gospel to continue to go out, Father. We pray for just transformed lives in this church, Father. We pray for a refreshing of who you are in our lives, Father. We thank you so much for your word today, and we pray this all in your precious name. Amen.